My name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Embers to Excellence. My goal is to explore the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. In addition to leadership, I like to discuss mental health, PTSD, and overcoming adversity. If you have a favorite episode, I would love to hear about it. Message me through social media or my website, and I will share some free tools to help you achieve your goals. Please like, subscribe, and leave a review. If you haven't purchased your copy of my book, Fireproof, please grab a copy today. Thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Neil, the media giant Haley. Uh, if you're watching the video, you, you can't really see it, but he he towers at six foot ten. Um, he began his professional journey as a pro wrestler back in 1993 and did like a, a six-year stint, six, seven-year stint. Um, Dwayne The Rock Johnson borrowed his knee pads. <laughs> We're going to talk a little bit about this, but uh, I had the pleasure of being on Neil's podcast, and he was kind enough to, to grace from embers to excellence and uh share his story um this is this is just uh awesome man i really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today and share with my audience well it's fantastic david you're on thank you for your service as a firefighter i mean you do something such an amazing thing to protect people's lives and i appreciate that and i appreciate your the whole process about dealing with challenges and then be able to overcome those challenges to be where you are today and uh, i'm excited to talk it's different for me right you know i do i've done over nine thousand plus interviews for my podcast radio show tv show and time and uh, i've been interviewed only a handful of times i got to do this more because now i can just sit back and wait for questions <laughs> well let's start off with where it all began uh, where were you born and raised i know you're in texas now is that where no i was born in pittsburgh pennsylvania uh in, in mcgee women's hospital people are pittsburgh people you know coming back and listening to this and i grew up uh in pittsburgh for a few years and then my father relocated us to denver colorado and he was the vice president of wyoming mineral corporation he's passed away but he was the number he was an able academy graduate in 1949 can you believe it and he was uh number one in the naval academy ranked uh so he was like the best just genius went to mit cornell he went to cornell before that so just kind of giving you my father's background. My mother was Dean of Women at the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, so, you know, pretty academic background to, to say the least, uh, but I was born in Pittsburgh. Nice. And, and in high school, I mean, did you did you sprout fairly early? I mean, uh, so that's a great question. Six foot four uh, and I ended up being six foot nine, becoming six ten in college, but four as a freshman. So I drew a little bit more six foot two in eighth grade uh so basketball was going to be where my sport was first except this is the biggest thing that people have to understand if you end up having a kid who's tall or gifted in athletics or at least tall but their kid, parents were not gifted in athletics it really is an uncompetitive advantage except what you're seeing today you're seeing lots of kids that have athletes as parents and then they take that whole idea with them. But if you start out as never, your parents were never that athletic, and then you try to be it, you're uncoordinated, you don't understand the whole deal. And that was kind of my 
lanky days, if you can't believe it. Now, right now I'm 275 pounds, but I used to be 310 when I was a pro wrestler. So I was really skinny then and very quiet uh, basketball player. Uh, so that was pretty much my days as basketball. And I did end up playing uh, high school football for one year and put some weight on, but not really a ton, but you know how high school football everyone could play high school football because at that time it didn't matter. You just go out there, they put you in a position, put you in tight end, put you defensive end say, okay, roll with it. Oh, you can even be an offensive tackle, defensive tackle, because they're not that big, especially depending what school you're in. So do you have brothers and sisters? No, I'm an only child. Um, my <laughs> father has had three kids of his own. Um, my, two of my a brother, my brother and sister, half brother and sister are still alive. Well, my other brother, half brother died, but they never lived with me at all. So I was one child. Okay. And <clears throat> so you've got very intelligent parents. Uh, I'm guessing they passed some of that on to you. Yeah, I have the, I, I'm, I'm a late bloomer intelligence wise. Academics <laughs> were not my thing growing up until academics became my thing because of sports you know, you go ahead and if you want to play sports, then you got to have grades. And then all the athletes, friends who I played with, they all cared about their grades, especially in high school. We would compete and say, we're in this class, what grade did we get in this class? And we were competitive, not for the result of learning, the result of getting good grades. I had players that were really good players. And, they, and especially my friend, uh, Brandon George, he ended up uh, coaching and he, I guess he's still in education today. But he would always say, what grade did you get in this test? What grade did you get in this test? And we would compete with grades. So competition for academics was not about, hey, bringing home the mom and dad. It was about, hey, what grades did we get as athletes? Especially because student athletes, they're the, the best, man. If they can literally hit, you know, go all day in school, not start their homework till eight or nine o'clock at night and still get good grades, that's a special person. Yeah. You know, because that's why student athlete is such a challenge. Yeah. So where did you go to college? Undergrad, I first went to Western Maryland, which is McDaniel College, played one year of college basketball there, Division III, uh, and then went to go play at La Roche and then ended up graduating undergrad in La Roche. But I did leave college for a bit to be a pro wrestler full time. So it was a weird, weird journey. If you want to hear the story of how I became a professional wrestler, it's yeah, not, no, I, I it's, knew we not were gonna... it's not a normal journey. I, if I literally would have broken five years before that, before the, when the territories were still in there, I probably would have made millions in pro wrestling. The, the reason was because they only had a specific entry for specific people at this time, wrestling schools were starting to develop were people that were not the main territories developing their talent. If you've watched Young Rock, you could see that there was a certain amount of pro wrestling territories before Vince McMahon. I broke in right after Vince had his heydays run, you know, with Hogan and everything. If I would have broken years before where the territories were still around, I, I don't know where I would have been, but I don't know if I would be alive either because, you know, a lot of these guys didn't make it uh, past a specific age. So basically, I was driving driving down on the road and uh, cruising uh, with my friend. And uh, these, you know how we cruise for chicks? There's chicks on the other side with it in the car. And then they say, hey, 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 
we pull over. So we go pull over and lo and behold, in the back was a guy named Andy Weinenberg, who's a famous professional manager, managed in ECW. We hit it off and start talking. Pro wrestling, man, that's not my thing. I'm a college basketball player. Dude, if you would be a pro wrestler, you'd make, you'd be a star. I'm like, come on, man. No, no, no. Pro wrestling, that's that fake stuff. Boy, oh boy, would I have never known that and said, no, I, I just, I've watched everyone, all of us probably were professional wrestling fans if we're age, my age, I'm 50, of Hulk Hogan. The days when it's Andre the Giant, Hulk Hogan. Yeah, I watched that. But I thought it was a bunch of joke. I thought it was cartoon. I never watched WCW or NWA, Ric Flair. I was never a fan. I was bored out of my gourd, to be honest. But I loved that. And I love rock and wrestling. And I loved Nikolai Volkov and all this stuff. So I Saturday morning cartoons. So I had it wrestling. But I thought, this, what? They're independents? So I decided, okay, I'm going to be tra- trained to become a pro wrestler. And I went to Bricktown, New Jersey. and was trained by the late Iron Mike Sharp first. But Andy hooked me up. Andy would say, dude, you should be a pro wrestler. I'm only 215 pounds this time, 220, okay? And six and six foot nine, 10, you know? And I'm thinking basketball. And I just got off an injury because I played on a rubber floor at Western Maryland. And he's telling me, dude, you should be a pro wrestler. I said, I'm too skinny. He said, no, dude, dude, we, you can do this. You can do this. And Andy really was the mentor that said, you can do this. And he said, and Andy's like, you know, I connected ECW and this is where we're before ECW's happening. I know I'll take you to an independent pro wrestling event. He took me to an independent pro wrestling event. My eyes went, what? I could be on stage like this. I can be in front of crowds like this. And there were like 500 or a thousand people. But if you've never been exposed, you've been exposed to crowd as you're just the player on the court, right? I've played in front of thousands of people in basketball. It's different. You're the star. If you're one of two people in that squared circle and they're all their eyes are on you, there's no feeling like it in the world. It's probably like being on stage speaking in front of two, 300 people or more. The, the, the electricity of the crowd knowing you're involved. When you're on the court with five people, unless you did something big on that or you played on the football field, that's the only time eyes are on you. But imagine they're here to see you at least for that 10, 15 minutes in the front of the squared for circle. And they're all focused in the, you know, and the lights are off. You know, when you see those events where they have the lights in the ring and the crowd, you can't even see them. So that was the feeling, man. But I saw this, dude, I'm doing this. I'm sold. I'm going to be pro wrestler. So I went down, tried to get trained a few times in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh did not have any training facilities yet. This is where it's still a secret, right? I told you before that there was only certain people. Well, there was not like professional wrestling schools. Like I can go out to Texas right now. There's five or six pro wrestling schools probably in miles from each other. Before, there was only a few still pro wrestling schools. Not everyone. And then the other, there were the fake ones and the ones that guys that were training that really made it. I don't know if you remember Iron Mike Sharp. He had the, he was a like a journeyman wrestler, but he had the thing. And, but he was on TV all the time, WWF. So I'm like, okay, I'm going Iron Mike Sharp. I ended up going with two jobbers as trainers, Iron Mike Sharp and also Charlie Fulton. Jobbers and the fact they were journeymen, they were the minor leagues, they were on top, they did wrestle in the big cards, but they never were pushed to make money. So that is the other thing that you have to think about. The guys that made it, they either got trained by the best that were, you know, by the territories developing them or somebody else. So 
Uh, any questions so far on this? Or are you just intrigued by this story? I'm intrigued by this story, man. I'm I'm curious how you broke into the pros and you know, I'm I'm imagining you bulking up and I did bulk up, uh, no doubt. And that that story's gonna come in New Jersey. So Ken, you're a New York guy. So you remember, you know Bricktown, New Jersey, then, right? If right. you're a New York guy, okay. You know Asbury Park, right? Right. Asbury Park and all, Seaside Heights and the other beaches that were between Seaside Heights. So, okay, here's the story. So basically I'm like, okay, I'm going to get trained. I'm going to take the summer to get trained. You know, I'm my freshman year in college. I mean, my sophomore year in college, oh, I'm going to go get trained to be a pro wrestler. So I'm going to do this as a summer thing. I'm going to go train. So I moved down to New Jersey, Worktown, New Jersey. I was even going to maybe transfer to play college basketball at Monmouth. Uh, college and tried D1 while still training to be a pro wrestler. I have no idea what my my whole thought process was at that time. See, this is the problem. We're young. We don't think, man. Yeah. We don't think about anything. We just act. We're just going to go, right? So I go, you know, to Bricktown. Um, I go down there, find a place to live, get trained by Iron Mike Sharp for three months. The time's over. And there was issues with what gimmick they wanted me to do in pro wrestling. And it wasn't the best training. So I'm like, I'm out. And he's like, no, I got another place for you, bro. This is going to be much better. Charlie Fulton. He used to train at the monster factory with Larry Sharp. He's trained Papa Shango. He's trained all these big guys. You're perfect. Let's go here. Okay. It's Marion, Ohio. I don't know if you know where Marion, Ohio is. So I would drive two days a week to train and go to school at the same time, drive all the way down to Marion, Ohio and train. I did bulk up during that time in New Jersey. I went from 220 to 260, 265, and it's called eating pasta, chicken, and lift. And I was about 260 when I went to Charlie Fulton's. So I drove all the way, and this is called the dedication of you want to be successful in life, you better dedicate yourself. You want to be better and differentiate yourself. You better do stuff. So all these guys, they would go wrestle once a month. I'm like, no, I'm going to go drive all over the country to wrestle. I'm not going to be this guy that's going to wait for people to come to me. I'm going to come to them. And that's the, the lesson learned we got to learn in business too. We can't expect people to come to us. You got to come to them. You got to get to them any way possible and, and understand that. And that's the competitor in me. So basically, I would um, drive, can you imagine, from Pittsburgh to Marion, train that night, then drive back the same night. Or sometimes stay at a hotel for two nights, Monday, Tuesday, training's over, back to Pittsburgh. So I'm training in Marion, Ohio, get my first uh, couple wrestling matches under my belt, and start working the indies. Any other questions so far in this process? So this is where, you know, these you get trained by the best. Charlie's telling me about, hey, yeah, you can make money in this business. Let me show you how you work as a big guy. And I went from 260 to 290, 295. And then when I was training in Marion, I bench pressed over 400 pounds. Uh, so I put, I bulked on just eating like crazy. I could eat seven steaks at one point in time, David. <laughs> I'm going to go give me eight steaks. Now I'm eating this healthy and I'm like, nope. I'm, I'm, I'm intermittent fasting and I'm still 275. Okay. Imagine if I'd start eating 5,000 calories a day, I'd still be big, 
But that's what I did because, you know, your frame at that age, 23, 24, 25, you still got a lot of development to grow and you got to eat. So I ate. And you're burning all that like crazy. Oh yeah. You're burning it. You're burning like crazy in the ring and training and all that. So I trained two days a week. Then I started working the the independence week weekends, uh, ran in with a guy named cousin Elmer. He got me booked to start this one thing. And I worked with silo Sam. If you were a fan of Pee-wee's big adventure, the first promoter I worked for was the guy who chased Pee-wee Herman. And I have a picture with that. I got to get these pictures, man. I got to put them out and say, look, there's me with Silo Sam, who's seven foot five. And I'm with Silo Sam and Honky Tonk Man. And we got a picture of Silo Sam and Honky Tonk Man together. Go figure, man. You know. Yeah, you and I are only a couple of years apart. So like my little brother and I, we used to watch WWF, you know, all the time. Hulk Hogan, my my guy was Superfly Stuka. That that was my. I was on shows with Jim, the late Jimmy Snuka. I was on shows with him. I was on shows with a lot of these guys. Everyone I grew up watching, I'm on shows with because everyone goes back. Everyone who's on top is going to go to the bottom, and that's in entertainment. So if you're in entertainment, at one point you're going to be on the bottom. Entrepreneurship, I believe, once you get on top, there should be never lose that go to the bottom, because it's a different story, but athletics, what comes up will come down. Look at, you know, look at Brady, look at all that. So, all right. So this is, I'm, I'm going to keep the story going so you can get what happened pro wrestling, but no one gets this story with me. And this is what makes me understand marketing. Cause I had to market myself. Yeah. I had to market my brand seven footer, you know, six ten, but I called myself legitimate seven feet tall and I'm training in a sport I never knew, had to network with people I did not know. It's funny. I ran into some of these wrestlers and like, dude, here's my black book. Here, you can have all these wrestlers' numbers. I'm jotting them down. I'm th- hey, I forget who shared it with me. I think one of the guys I was trained with. And I had to pick up the phone and call these people and say, hey, can I send my tapes? Hey, can, because it was VHS tapes. I, I got a tape of my matches. Oh, sure, let, brother. Let's take a look at that and all that stuff. That's how I ended up at Burt Prentice's. I sent a VHS tape. Can you imagine that? I sent my VHS tape to uh, Bremen, Germany to get booked for uh, Germany at, right before my career was over. So I'm getting trained to be a pro wrestler, wrestling every weekend. And I get on a show in Pittsburgh because I'm doing pretty good, but I'm working weekends, man. You're not going to learn this business unless you're wrestling five, six days a week. Why do you think Vince created... NXT, why do you think they have these places where the guys in AEW, they don't just wrestle for TV. They go work the independence because you can't learn your craft unless you're working four or five nights, six nights a week. The guys that made the money, have you watched Young Rock? You got to watch it if you've not got a chance. I'm a big, because that shows Rock's career and how he learned. These guys that wrestle five, six nights a week, and they wrestled people like Jerry the King Lawler, and they wrestled all these experts. They had such geniuses minds. They teach them the wrestling business like crazy. So I ran in, I worked a show. I walk out, and guess who's on the show? Cactus Jack, Mick Foley. You know who he is. Big, he, I sit down and say, Mick, and Mick's the greatest guy in the world. Introduce myself. He's like, dude, you, gotta, you can't be working these shows anymore. You got to be working every day, week. I was on a, a, a promotion. It's like USWA because I really wanted to work USWA for Lawler. I ended up working for them at one point. 
They run six nights a week. It's not much money. It's in Arkansas. You'll be on TV. You'll learn how to work. I'm going to give you the information. Tell them you know me. Send the information. Mick tells me to send the, the tape. Boom. I get a call from Bert. I want you show to show up in Jonesboro, Arkansas. And there was another guy that wanted to work there too. So we traveled together to be roommates and went, and went down to the South to work. So that was it. $25 a night. Okay. We're sleeping in cars, but we're sleeping in, you know, we're, we're sleeping in hotels, whatever we can do to make it in the business. Guys that were with me were the headbangers who worked as the spiders and they were WWE tag team champions of the world. Uh, Bull Payne, these guys that was a big mainstay in Texas for global. Uh, the, the list goes on and on. You know, superstar Bill Dundee, I worked a program with, worked with Jerry the King Lawler, The Rock before he was The Rock, wore my knee pads down south, and we're wrestling six nights a week. That's when I also did USWA for Jerry the King Lawler. I worked a pro, I, I worked Jerry the King Lawler in the Mid South Coliseum for the Heavyweight Championship. And if you watched, you, you saw the movie with uh, Lawler and what's his name, Jim Carrey. You ever see that, Man on the Moon? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember the whole story of, of Andy Kaufman? Yeah. That's Lawler in it. Imagine I wrestled in that same place that Andy Kaufman wrestled Jerry the King Lawler. So I did that experience, man. It really shaped who I am as a marketer and as a media personality. You see what sells. If you see why people get over in pro wrestling, it's they get the audience. People think you got to go ahead and create and they will come. No, you have to be worthwhile for them. They have to like your content. They have to engage to say, this is somebody I want to work with. Why do I want to work with somebody that doesn't get any likes or doesn't have any followers, doesn't have any engagement, or doesn't have people that resonate, aren't interesting? You got to be interesting. You got to be intriguing. That's the business. I, I went as a seven-footer build against people like King Kong Bundy on top, uh, Kurgan, who wrestled in the WWE, who's a big movie star now. All these guys, I would wrestle and they put me as the other star what is that telling you that's how important brand is if you have something that's different than somebody else people are going to resonate with you and they're going to want to work with you if you're like everybody else you're never going to be anything bottom line thoughts i i love this for me just talking but well i'm i'm curious because you mentioned that as a young basketball player, you know, you were kind of quiet, maybe a little shy. How did you, how did you. Am I shy now, David? No, you're not. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm like, where, where do you believe that transition happened? Oh man. Oh, promos, man. First of all, promos, promos, promos. I was one of the worst promo guys in the business. So that just tells me somebody doesn't know how to speak. That's BS. At one point, you're going to learn to speak. Okay. <laughs> Trust me. It's practice. Okay. And, and, and so here's the example. Okay. We're going to, you're, okay, Neil, you're again, you're, you're giant warrior. That was my gimmick down south. Giant warrior. You're going to be wrestling against 
this guy, this, this, uh, this baby face, you're going to tell him he's the biggest idiot in the world and all this stuff, but be big and tough and talk like this. That's not me. That's not me. I probably can do a great impersonation of that now. I'm going to be mad and I'm going to crush you and I'm going to take you down. That doesn't work, man. For me, it's not my personality. I'm not going to go and say, I'm going to stop and I'm just going to be this big, tough guy. That's not my gimmick. And so I was the worst promo guy. I couldn't remember three minutes of a promo. Okay, you're in Jonesboro, Arkansas, and you're going to tell people you're going to crush this guy. Go. It was horrible. I was one of the worst television promo wrestlers ever. It was awful. But I'm going to tell you how this persona changed, okay? So then I did that promo. Then I did the baby face. So I'm a heel or a baby face. I turned baby face. I'm telling you what, and I'm going to come here and I'm going to choke slam you. And I'm like, I can't even remember two minutes of the promo. It was absolute garbage. It was terrible. I'm not a charismatic person in this gimmick. So really my gimmick stunk. I got better. Okay. I started becoming big. Uh, I didn't really show my ability to talk on the mic. So I left down south Lawler taught me a ton of how to be a heel how to get heat how to be mean so I would wrestle Jerry Lawler in three matches with Jerry Lawler and with 20 matches with Bill Dundee I learned exactly how to work as a big guy uh Psycho Sid Vicious you know Sid Psycho Sid he did commentary of one of my matches in USWA and he came to me he says okay Neil before you're working and he was the greatest guy in the world this is when he was injured and he has broken back he is dual personalities i don't care sid you tell me that I, you know what sid you're full of it you didn't want to you you were a nice guy when you're trying to help the boys but when you were trying to be on top you're you were a cocky punk i have a story about the rock i'll tell you that some other time off air all right so <laughs> i'm gonna the coffee coming all right so basically Sid would say, okay, dude, you're going to sell this move and that's it. And you're going to sell to the crowd only a couple moves. As a big guy, you just want to just do a couple moves. It was such a great idea, okay? Because these guys now, they're doing so many different moves. It doesn't resonate with the audience at all. And they're killing themselves. And you'd hear a lot of the guys talk about it. So he said, just sell this move and you're when you're wrestling this guy and job them out. And I did TV for... And it really got over me when I did the whole thing. Sid told me, hey, dude, this is what you do, blah, 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 blah. I said, okay, thanks, Sid. I was taller than Sid. So think of, remember Sid, right? Mm -hmm. Remember Sid yeah. Nogan. Remember, so you remember him, right? Yeah, yeah. Sid Vicious, he worked as Sid Vicious, Psycho Sid. Man, he was, and I learned facial expressions from Psycho Sid. And when I did my facial expressions, when I was working in Bremen, Germany, as giant Butch Bronson, but I'm saying, that was still not me. I tell people to shut up. You ask me to get a mic. I'm crap. Okay. Once I got behind the screen of learning from Sid, learning from Jerry, the King Lawler, learning from Bill Dundee, learning from Rhino, Rhino, I beat him for the heavyweight championship. Remember Rhino was an ECW and also a WWE star who's a mayor, or I think he ran for office of some sort learning from the headbangers, learning from all these, you know, guys that made money in the business. I come back as a sponge, understanding the behind the scenes of wrestling. 
I could wrestle a match. I could wrestle you tomorrow, David. We could schedule a match in front of your friends and uh, the former firefighters and say, David Hollenbach versus Neil, Neil, the media giant Haley. I could put such a great match on with you because i so good at psychology. Make it great. Make you look like a million dollars and put you over. Well, I built that from learning from these people because I'm a sponge. Any information, I learned the psychology of the business from these guys. And I use a lot of this because psychology is such an important thing in marketing. If you don't understand the person when you're on a sales call with somebody that's interesting, you don't listen to them and understand who they are. My gosh. Okay. So we're continuing this conversation. I want to get your feedback so far, David. No, I, I think this is amazing because what I'm really looking to to see is the transformation this, of this the, quiet guy. Okay. So I well, go well, into TV. Not only, the, not only the transformation from the quiet guy, but how did you use all of that stuff that you learned in pro wrestling and use that to in marketing market today? Right. It's so it's so it's it's so easy for me to figure out a business, figure out a thing from pro wrestling. And that we should look at some of these top stars that went on. Look, Paul E. Dangerously has a huge marketing firm. Did you know that uh, he or the uh, not even marketing, I'd call it something. He took that. He still works for, you know, Vince, but Paul E. did that. A lot of these guys have transitioned into some sort of marketing a lot of them did pro wrestling promotion, but that there's no money in that. Okay, so we basically, I go back to Pittsburgh. Bubba from B94, who again, he ended up, um, he's on some radio station in Pittsburgh now, but he's a big guy. Well, he told me, I ended up being his tag team partner for TV, kept me in Pittsburgh, uh, lived a life in Pittsburgh for a while, now in Dallas, and that's a story for another time, another place, and a book for sure. In my book, my tell-all book, I'll tell you everything. <laughs> I just got to get paid to do that book and I'll do it. All right. So we get back into the, to, I go back to Pittsburgh. I meet this guy. This guy has a uh, cable access television show. It's drizzling. It's horrible. It's the worst television I've ever seen in my entire life. I became the producer of it, went behind the scenes. Then came this persona and Norm Connors really helped me with it. The supermodel protege, big Neil, the real deal. Okay. So I start being myself, this gregarious, fun guy that talks people's ear off while I create this character. You know, I'm Ric Flair, it's not a work. What Ric Flair is, is truly who Ric Flair's life is, man. Ric Flair on styling and profiling all the, the limousines. Well, Big Neil, the real deal, is still around. He's somewhere in his personas. I guess the media giant has become a grown-up big Neil, the real deal. But what I did was a supermodel protege as a gimmick. Then I said, okay, I'm going in front of the screen. And oh man, when I truly said what I feel, which is a mistake, because guess what? If you always say what you feel, if you go back to my days in education talk shows and things like that, as I'll talk about my education stories, I really talked off the cuff. I'm not, I'm much more mature guy at at 50 compared to the years I've done in radio where I just said whatever I wanted to say and feel because it's wrestling. Wrestling, I thought I'm a gimmick. I'll play that gimmick. Well, people don't understand. There's a gimmick side of somebody and there's really the true person. There's two personas. And my media personality at that time was that persona. So I went in front of the screen, started talking up things, big Neil, the real deal, blah, blah, blah. And that's when I could just do anything and talk. But guess what? 
I took a step back when I retired from wrestling, went on the teaching. And I know that's something for another story, another time, David. But during that time, I got an opportunity to do a talk show. And this is my whole radio personality change. I had a tutoring business and someone said, you can do a pilot talk show in WRCT 88.3. I go over to 88.3. I do the talk show. Okay. And I read the script and I was horrible for the first two minutes. And then I just threw the script out and just be, became me. Never have used a script ever in my life unless someone's told me to use one and I became myself. So what's the lesson learned in all this? If you think too much when you speak, you won't speak of who you are. You won't speak like you are. You won't be your true authentic self. You'll be a robot. And people are going to understand that. And the more you become who you are as a personality, why do we call personality person? You've got to be the personality of who you are. And you got to let people know who you truly are. And that's when I became that. And when I was talking education, I was fighting for families, farting, fighting for charter schools, fighting for all that education, became a celebrity show, became bigger than ever. And that's how that personality came. And that's how I became later on the media giant. Let's go with another question. But that's the wrestling story. In a nutshell, I got my master's degree in education. So I went back after I got my undergrad at LaRoche, after I dropped out of school, came back, got my undergrad, got my master's degree at Duquesne University in education, taught seven or eight years in the in public schools and elementary and, and, and Catholic schools, and then went on. My school ended up merging with another school. I'm like, I'm out. I'm going to do this full time entrepreneurship. And that was it. Tutoring business, PR marketing, the whole nine yards. But what I know, which a lot of people don't in marketing, is I lived it. I know how to market myself. I can market myself all day long. I don't, this is the point people have to, you have to get people's attention. And once you get their attention, you have to go and ask for more. And you'll get more attention and more attention. You'll see what the algorithms are looking like. You'll see what the specific things are happening. Everyone has a niche. And if they can nail down to that niche, my niche is all over the place because I have so many experiences. Education, my years in education, my years as a pro wrestler, my years of marketing, my years as a podcaster and radio and TV, my years even in the security industry. I've done, I've been part of the security industry. So I have many multiple backgrounds and I've interviewed over 9,500 people. So I can talk to about, or maybe 10,000 if we ever give it a total. I have to get somebody that would decide to go through all of my stuff and say, who have you interviewed and can give me a list? I need a fan, right? I need a fan that comes to me and say, you know what, Neil? I'm gonna research you and I'm gonna see all the interviews you've done and do them and, and, and figure them out. I got stuff still in back offices, archived for years to come. You know, Blog Talk Radio, which I did after 88.3 and I still am on Blog Talk Radio just to use as a podcast. My gosh, you know, they don't archive completely back all the way. And you're going to look at things that you can listen to it, but you can't download it. So it's, I got these archives somewhere or somewhere or something and search and I've done an interview. If somebody can go and archive all that, that would be fantastic. 10,000 plus interviews or whatever it is. That's how I became who I am. And I can interview anybody, have a conversation with anybody. And it really helps in sales because if you can develop that relationship and have a conversation with somebody and truly be authentic and truly have something that's really special for somebody, you can do it. So what are you most passionate about right now? That is the greatest question in the world. 
I think really my passion comes from helping people and serving people and really seeing their progress and make them help make money, help them become better at what they do and progress. It's about progress and passion and development and really becoming somebody that's great for society to do something special for people, to see them grow in, as individuals in some sort of way. So my passion of what I do is I have a social, uh, 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 an agency that provides social media done for you. I provide podcast production, connect people who want to interview celebrities and do coaching. And I'm really loving the coaching end of things to be really listen to people and coaching, consult, and look at their marketing business, all forms of marketing and figure out what works for them. And it's a lot of fun and it's every day doesn't seem like work. And that's the most important thing. You do something you love to do and you're good at it and you want to become better at it. And you have such huge dreams for yourself. Yeah. That's here, here. Hear me out on this. I, what you just said is phenomenal. And I, I've talked about this very thing. I, I wrote about it in my book. So I have this, I went through a, a tough time back in 2019, 2020, and I really dug deep and I, I, you know, was reading all my favorite philosophers and I, and I feel like I, I found this common thread that spans the, the history of mankind, you know, all the greatest thinkers, uh, religious leaders, uh, you know, military leaders. When you, when you look at, when they say, what is your purpose or what is the meaning of life? What, you know, what drives us? We're all, we all want to be happy. We want to feel fulfilled. And the purest form of fulfillment is that, that feeling that you get when you help somebody else succeed, not to benefit yourself, but you truly want to see this other person succeed and you lift them up. Feels so great. And that's why education, that's why I was a teacher for X amount of years. And that's why when I first tutored at a reading camp to help kids that couldn't read, it felt so great for me. And that's what I, feels great every day when I'm working with entrepreneurs and business owners and authors and everything to see the progress they make. It makes me happy. And I'm here to do it. It's not about the money at the end of the day. It's about serving and purpose. Great point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and some of my clients, when I, when I walk them through this process to really figure out what's most important to them, what is it that drives them? You know, what are we good at? What can, what value can we add to other people? And, and when you find that and it's, and you, it's a oh, game changer. Yeah. Take time and you evolve. You never know. This is what happened. Are you kidding me? That wasn't my plans, but we have to be open to the plans that are not. What was mice and men? What was the best laid plans of mice and men? I forget the, the quote, but ultimately we have to be open to opportunity. We have to be open to doing things that are not comfortable for you, but we also have to be open to do, enjoy what we're doing. Because we're not enjoying what we're doing. People are going to see right through it and they're going to be like, no, you know, yeah. I miss pro wrestling. Even though I'm 50 years old, people are talking about me going back in the ring. I'm sure as heck not going to take a bunch of bumps. I'm going to just get over quickly. Uh, there's a guy, one of my clients, Wade Simmons, he said, 
he's he's training to be a pro wrestler and they're not giving him a shot the way they should give him a shot we have a if you should see the interview i'm all released i think it's already on his radio interview wade and i just had his brain starting session i said dude just come to texas as uh david crockett said and i don't know this quote completely but you're gonna laugh the hell with you guys i'm moving to texas i'm going to texas. i forget what david crockett said that's what Wade Simmons does, and that's what I did. So, you know, it, Texas is a good place. No, but the point is that you have to be open to it. You have to be – and, and for, it doesn't happen overnight, man. This is a 13-year journey in podcasting. This is a 20-year journey as an entrepreneur, business owner. Finally, I feel things feel right. Not saying it's changed my life at all. It feels right. Didn't feel right 20 years ago when I'm sitting tutoring kids for nine hours after or three hours after teaching all day. It feels right. And this is what? It's a journey. Life is a journey. It's not, it's not a sprint. If you do decide to get back in the ring, yeah, I'll dust off my jujitsu gi and we're done. It. We'll do it. We'll do it. I'll come to New York or I'll come to Florida. That's not, let's do, let's, let's do, let's figure out some things for charity. I'm cool with that. I'm down with that. Yeah, I can, that'd be fun. So you will, we'll, we'll come up with some fun things. Uh, Florida, Texas, you know, there's, there's so many opportunities. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that I want to speak live. I want to be not just stuck in four walls forever. And soon it's going to be over, man. Soon I'll be going those places. One of my uh, friends, Derek Bowles, got to live the dream this last couple months after I had the idea and I was going to do it. And I said, nope, I'm going to wait. He went, uh, did the uh, radio row with the NFL. I could have gone with him. I said, no. Then he did the NBA All-Star game because the bottom line is it's about me being able to be successful keeping on business, profiting. It wasn't about experiences at this point. I'll get it. That's the other thing people have to understand. You're going to get all these experiences at one point. It's, you need to grow something. But Derek went and got those experiences and he's a great guy. I think he'd be a great guest for your podcast. Uh, I just said no. And the reason is because I, I, that's the other thing that a, the 50-year-old Neil has learned. He said a lot, when you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And you have to understand that. A lot of people look at, hey, this looks fun. This is great. This is going to be awesome. But when you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else that could be far better for you. We have to stay the course, man. Uh, but I love the idea of wrestling at each other. You know, and, and Wade Simmons could be my manager. I'll be the heel in Florida and the baby face in Texas. We'll figure <laughs> all this stuff out. And you don't have to take many bumps. And if I'm a ba- it's it's fun. Wrestling's fun. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Cool, man. But you well, probably could beat me up with jujitsu. And- dude, I'm six foot tall. I I could like maybe keep you from pinning me, but I mean, dude, you're like way bigger than me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it would be fun to watch, I think. Yeah, exactly. And we could do it for charity. Yeah. Man. All right. Yeah. Well, appreciate it. Everyone's just, if they're listening to this and want to resonates with them, they could schedule a 15 minute call with me really easily by going to Calendly.com slash Neil Haley. And also you go ahead to neilhaley.com, Follow me on all different social media platforms. 
join the media giant uh, Facebook group. I'm really just growing that out. And it's about promoting yourself. I'm not here to sell you anything on this, that, that Facebook group. It's more about, I want to pr provide a platform for people to promote themselves. So go to media giant as well. And I didn't ask me that, but I'm just trying to give my little plug, but I've really, really enjoyed kind of sharing with you some of the stories. And I, I'd love to share some more stories with you another time. Yeah, man. Yeah, no. And what Neil just said, I mean, this is uh, a relationship that just kind of happened organically, you know, I, I got to be interviewed by the media giant and, you know, I was just threw it out there. Like, Hey, want to be on my show? And, and yeah, I've only done is... two interviews, but you said, you asked me and I'm never going to say no to anyone. This is the other thing. People have egos say, what's your audience? I don't care because I'm touching someone's life tonight. And I hope that, and if you're giving up and saying, I can't do it, that's not true. You can do it. And it's fun being interviewed or it's fun to share. I mean, I'm thinking about the people I mentioned today and some of the people I didn't like, I didn't mention. That's too bad. You can just forget you. But I did mention a lot of people and hopefully they go back. And someday when this, you know, uh, the continue rise of the media giant, people will be going back listening to this interview. So, yeah, man. Cool. Thank you so much, man. All right, thanks, David. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review.